The one and only Gloria Johnson, live from Knoxville. Before we get into what we're here to talk about today, just want to let you guys know that we have hollers all over the state. Knoxville, Chattanooga, Cookville, Clarksville, Memphis, Murfreesboro, Tri-Cities, Coffee County, Murray County, all over the place. That's thanks to you and your support. TNHoller.com is where you can chip in monthly, even a couple bucks a month goes a long way and make it 10 or more and we'll send you one of these sweet holler hats that I'm wearing. Gloria, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I have a holler hat. I don't really have a hat, but I do wear it sometimes. I love my holler hat. So today we're going to talk about that threatening press conference. Just to bring us up to speed where we are, Gloria, this is what the COVID hospital spike looks like in Tennessee ever since July 4th, which is probably no coincidence. It has quintupled hospitalizations wise. And we know that 97 or 99% of those are unvaccinated people, including Phil Valentine, a conservative radio talk show host who was mocking the vaccine about a week before he ended up in the hospital. What did you think when you heard that one? Well, you know, I think we're hearing it a lot. We're hearing it across the country. Folks who have been adamantly opposed to masking and to getting the vaccine who get the vaccine and are really sorry about it. And, and I hate it. I hope he comes out of this and I hope he talks to folks and tells, you know, as a, as an advocate for the vaccine, it's shocking to me that we, that some of our public voices and our elected officials are really putting Tennessee lives in danger. Absolutely. They are. There are some Republicans who are speaking up for the vaccine now, especially the ones that are getting it getting the these breakthrough cases. Rep. Brian Terry, who's a doctor, he's a Republican here in Tennessee, his quote in the Washington Post was, I'm convinced the vaccine protected my health and possibly saved me from extensive hospitalization or death. That was in an article about Rep. David Byrd, who infamously apologized on tape to one of three women who say he sexually abused them in high school. The Washington Post picked up the story of him getting hospitalized and having an eight month battle with COVID that kept him out of the entire session last session. And then we saw him this week went and got sworn in. And this is what he looked like as he was getting sworn in. He was frail. He was in a wheelchair, not wheelchair bound, which I've been told is ableist. And so I will no longer say that. We said that this week when we posted these pictures and were corrected. Thank you for correcting us, but he didn't look good. And he was getting prayed over by two people, Dan Howell, who was not wearing a mask, which is pretty unbelievable considering he's standing right next to a man that just had a liver transplant because of COVID. And the other guy is Rep. Mike Sparks, who refuses to admit that the Civil War was fought over slavery, which I always like to admit every time he comes up. Uh, What were your thoughts here watching David Byrd come get sworn in to join you in the legislature? Well, you know, it's it's shocking to me that one of their colleagues, one of their colleagues they protected and fought for, and they're ignoring what has happened to him. And and quite frankly, I think that his um, push to get people vaccinated was quite tepid. For somebody who's had a liver transplant and gone through what he's gone through, it still shows that they have a little bit of control over over what he's saying because it was a, an incredibly tepid response in my view. It really was, uh, but you know, at least he's saying it out loud. Phil Valentine is also urging people to get the vaccine. You know, these are people who are only, you know, that, that seems to be what ends up happening with most of these issues is it's only when it comes home to roost and affects them or the people in their lives that they can actually do the right thing. Do you find that to be the case? 
with yeah. other things too, like for instance, Medicaid expansion or even the LGBT issues? Oh, LGBTQ, definitely. Um, cannabis is one where there have been legislators who are like, oh, no, no, no. But, you know, had a kind of a tragic incident and and needed to help sleeping and use cannabis and was like, oh, well, this is not a bad thing. So, so yeah, it seems to have to happen to them. And, and to me, that all goes back to having that empathy. I don't have to experience some of these things to know how awful they are and how they affect families and how they can destroy families. You know, it, it's just the reality of this. I'm really shocked at where we are and I'm shocked at some of my colleagues and, and even people I know that are falling for something that has no basis in fact. It's really amazing how it's just empathy. You know, empathy seems to be something that they really struggle with. And that brings us kind of to the main topic that I wanted to talk about today. Uh, a quick cartoon of the day that we showed was this uh, comeback of the year by the coronavirus, thanks to these anti-vaxxers. Uh, but basically what we wanted to talk about today was what we saw yesterday from Governor Lee and Speaker Cameron Sexton. Your friend, keep Speaker Cameron Sexton, who is still has not moved you out of your tiny office, I believe. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's okay, true. you're still in your tiny office. Uh, let's go ahead and we're going to watch the press conference yesterday. This is really the clip that had most of the people up in arms. Uh, this is Speaker Cameron Sexton talking about what he'll do essentially if any school district in Tennessee has the nerve to try to take measures to protect the children in their district. And I sure hope that a school system in this state, after this data is released, does not shut their schools. If they do, I'm gonna ask the governor for legislation to allow those parents in those school districts to take their money through school choice and to go wherever they deem they need to go. Okay, so that was the first thing. The first thing he talked about were school closures, which really nobody is talking about right now. But the way things are going may have to get discussed, you know, the way COVID spiking, especially with kids coming back to school soon. But the interesting thing there was that he went right to vouchers, which is Governor Lee's signature piece of legislation that got held up by a federal judge. And, you know, it just goes to show that so much of this is an attack on our public schools. Is that right? And it is an attack on our public schools. But let's be real honest, too, about what he just said. None of us want schools to close. But the reality of the thing is, the fact that they are not encouraging vaccinations and requiring masks in schools are the very reason we might end up shutting down. Not only do they not want to shut down, but they don't want to do the things required so that we don't have to. We want to be in school. Teachers, teachers, we know and we've always known they're the ones that are trying that have to learn that kids learn best in a classroom with a teacher. The online stuff doesn't work. It cracks me up that they're saying, oh, we can't put kids online when they're still paying millions for an online school that is failing kids every year. So so it's so hypocritical to see him. And it's like, how dare you challenge me? You know, this is really, he's going to do this. Not we're going to, or the state's going to, but I have a lot more to say about the other clips. So Okay, so let's keep going. This is after he threatens uh, school districts for, for closures and threaten them, threatens them with private school vouchers, which he voted against, by the way. That's the well, Governor Lee's proposal. Go ahead. It's also important to note, a lot of people say, well, he's not for vouchers. He doesn't have any defined policy agenda. 
you know, he knows that the majority of his district do not want vouchers. And that's why he was no on vouchers. It's not some truly held belief to him. Yes, I know his mom was a teacher, but Speaker Saxon is going to do what what the, his, the people who fill his coffers tell him to do. And that's what this is about. And if he can use that for more power, he's going to use vouchers. Okay, so here's what he said about mass mandates and uh, vaccination precautions. There needs to be a message to these school systems. It's unacceptable to close schools or systems in our state. He's got uh, just the look at it on his face, too. Like, he's he's very challenging. Just everything about him is challenging and threatening. And I, I just wanted to point that out. Like, he just looks like, don't you dare cross me. He is unhinged. I mean, this is unhinged. This is what it looks like. Yeah. He is so furious. He's talking to mothers and fathers and teachers. Like, these are the people who are concerned. People are just trying to protect their kids. And he's talking to them like they're, like, trying to steal his car or something. Right. Like, I don't know if you have the clip of Phil Williams' question. I do. We'll play that afterward. Because, because the thing to me is, you know, you don't just talk at people that they're going to bend to your will or else. When these are parents saying, I want my kid to be safe. When these are parents just got an email today from a, from a parent who has a seriously, a special needs child who is um, seriously immunocompromised. You know, he's saying, I don't care how scared you are for your child to go back to school. And no, I'm not going to separate your kid from other kids. And no, I'm not going to make sure that those around your child are wearing a mask. This is some unhinged stuff. It really is. And it's certainly not small government. It's anything but small government. This is what he had to say. Anymore. Then the other thing is you hear a lot of these school systems, and I appreciate the governor's comments about we want the parents to make the decision on wearing masks in schools. So I sure hope that school systems do not require a mask mandate. And if they do, I'm going to ask the governor for a special session. If they close the schools, I'm going to ask the governor for a special session. And if we hear, which we have been hearing, that school systems are going to segregate students based on who's vaccinated and unvaccinated, I'm going to ask the governor for a special session. And, and let's be clear, when he says, I'm going to ask for a special session, what he's really saying is, I'm going to threaten the funding of these schools. Because that's what they would do with a special session, right? You guys would come together and they would vote that anybody that has a mask mandate were taking your money. Y yes. Or they'll just make it illegal to have a mask mandate. Right. I mean, you know, that's what they'll do. And it, it's just, it's so outrageous on so many levels. I just, when I saw it, I thought of a child, a toddler tantrum. You're not the boss of me. You can't <laughs> right. me, you know, and, and I have the power. And what these these folks across the aisle, these extremists don't understand the power that we have, you know, even me as a minority, super minority Democrat, the power that we have was given to us by the people. And that power is about lifting the voice of the people. And this man continually denies that voice. You know, he denies the fact that 70 plus percent of Tennesseans want Medicaid expansion. 83% of Tennesseans want paid family leave. You know, that that more than 60% do not want vouchers. He is using, this is the ultimate abuse of power. He is using his power to threaten others to get in line. Not unlike he does 
in to um, all groups of people. It's really, you know, again, it goes back to when they tell you who they are, believe them. And when they tell you who, you are, who they are, believe them. Absolutely. And they tell you every single day around here. Uh, and you know a thing or two about that, again, because you were the only one who voted against him for speaker. And now you're working out of a tiny office with a bigger office available right across the room, which is some of the pettiest stuff ever. Uh, this is the clip that you were just talking about where Phil Williams asked him if school districts should be punished if they want to take care of their kids. This was that exchange. Punished by telling them they can't mandate a mask. If that's a punishment, sure. Sure. I mean, if we need to come into a special session and say that school systems cannot mandate masks on kids, I'm happy to do that. I'm sure our members are happy to do that. Yeah. So again, like I'm going to let you talk about that for a second, but I just go back to like, you know, I don't want my kids to be a mask. Like I, nobody wants that, but to give school districts the option, if it gets to that point to make their own decisions, how is this in line with the Republican ideology of small government, local control? They didn't mean any of that. He is completely trampling on the ideology they claim to hold that small government thing. They don't believe that unless it suits their political needs. And he's gleefully saying it in a diabolical way. Yeah. You know, here's what a leader, here's what a real leader would have done. Even if it was a, a leader who believed what he's saying, you know, you would say, I understand that parents are concerned. And and I, I really am, I, I acknowledge their concern, and especially with special circumstances, that they are afraid in sending their kids back. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that that school environment is safe for them. You know, he didn't even try to acknowledge that real people have real fears and real concerns. That's exactly right. It, 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 there's like no empathy and this glee at being able to say, I'm the decider. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really gross. And, and it's that whole absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. That's a perfect example of not listening to parents with serious concerns. And even if you don't end up agreeing with them, you have to listen to them and understand that they're coming from a true place of concern for their child. Right. That, that's what's missing from all this. It's like there's no sympathy for the parents who are scared. We get messages all the time from people who are like, I'm scared to send my kid back. There's no remote learning. You know, there's not going to be any mass mandates. There's going to be, they're going to try to treat this like it's not happening when it's happening in large part because of the attitude that they've taken towards the towards COVID and also towards vaccines. So, you know, they put us in this position and then they don't want to allow us to, you know, do what it takes to make ourselves feel safe. And, and on top of that, they're being completely unsympathetic about the whole thing. Yeah. Well, what a real leader also would have said was, we we need kids back in classrooms. These test results show it, even though we can get into the test re results too, because they don't mean anything. You know, yeah, we, let's talk about that. We were going to know there were going to be some things behind, but they can say, you know, we want to make sure our kids are catching up and getting the best um, education that they can possibly get. And the way that we can do that is for all of you all to get everybody who can be vaccinated, vaccinated, and to please wear your masks. Right. Leader would have taken that opportunity to say, if you want to be back in school, if we want to get these numbers down, if we want kids back to normal, then you guys, you have to get vaccinated and you have to, to wear those masks. But, but he's they won't not, even say that. As Danny says, he's a weak man.
It's a sign of a weak man. He is afraid to say what is needed because perhaps he won't win a primary. Republicans who really believe more in science than they're coming across as, it's because they, they know that they have to win a primary. They may have to win a primary. And what people don't realize is these anti-mask folks and anti-vaccine folks are a great, huge minority. A loud minority, right. But it's the same hundred folks. They don't get out and talk to regular people. They talk to people in their Republican meetings and they talk to people in their church. I don't know where else they go, but they're not. They, they certainly, they don't do a lot of time. I mean, Marsha hasn't done a town hall in four yeah. years. You know, they don't, yeah. they don't really open themselves up to that. They do do some tweeting though. I want to get to a couple of tweets here. Yeah. First of all, this is Brad Fiscus, Dr. Fiscus's husband, who's also on the school board here in Williamson County saying, I'm not certain he'd change his mind even if his child became infected. We see all your comments, so keep them coming. I also wanted to show Dr. Fiscus was as horrified as any of us by what Cameron Sexton said. She said, I'm so disturbed by the comments of Cameron Sexton. How do you justify bullying school districts that work themselves to exhaustion trying to keep kids and staff safe? You want in-person school, but will not allow schools to take measures to keep kids safe. He's not only advising against what the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC recommend, but also wants to impose his will upon schools that want to do the right thing. Politics interfering with public health is unacceptable. Every death is preventable. Get out of the way. Strong words. I love that she's just been burning it down on the way out. Uh, you know, she's been really bringing the thunder. And so the other thing that people wanted to talk about, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for what we have on this too. Actually, before we move to the testing thing, you know, it's not just people, it's also legislators that are still throwing out misinformation. These were two tweets by oh, Republican House Caucus Chair Jeremy Faison. And in two different days, it's back-to-back days, the one on the right actually came first, says, get vaccinated. They said, wear a mask. All the things they said, they were wrong. They're still wrong. We shouldn't listen, he says. And then after the backlash came the next day, he said, let me be straightforward and clear as I have always tried to be. I'm in full support and, uh, and advocacy of receiving vaccinations. It fights the virus. You know, I mean, he just makes no sense. Half the time I think he's evil. Half the time I think he's just dumb. But the thing that I, a lot of people pointed out, and they're absolutely right, is how similar he sounds to Pastor Locke, who is just an absolute monster over there at yeah. uh, Global Vision Bible Church saying, don't get vaccinated. You know, Trump's still president. Crack smoking, demon possessed, leftists think Biden's the president. You know, no masks in my church. Shocking how similar some of your colleagues sound to that guy. Yeah, it's like, you know, they're they're paying attention and they're watching him. So many of their talking points come from that. Um, you know, and several of them attended the insurrection, or at least one or one did. rep did, and, and he did, and some other yeah. folks. It's it's really shocking to me that they're coming off with this stuff. And, you know, as I said, I'll guarantee you every one of these people their entire life went to their doctor, respected their doctor, and did what their doctor told them. One of my responses that I kind of started sending out to the few emails I got about people, oh, don't ask my child to wear a mask because they can't see smiles and they'll be depressed and whatever. Kids actually take to masking pretty great. I've talked to so many teachers that said it wasn't an issue. And then they like to, you know, decorate their mask and, and have fun with their mask. But um, for for most of them, you know, unless your parent was saying something, they were fine with it. And it it's just that 
these folks listen to their doctor their entire life, but all of a sudden in this last year, they don't believe what medical professionals say or public health professionals. I almost died three times. I had an aortic aneurysm. I had a massive heart attack and I had a stroke and a great doctor saved my life each one of those times. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the, why would I stop listening to those physicians who saved my life? Why would I stop listening to them now? That's crazy. Yeah, well, that now is not the time to stop listening to them. And on that note, you know, they keep saying, well, changing the guidance is, you know, hypocritical or it's not, you know, it, it's it's inconsistent. And, you know, what are we supposed to listen to? Well, as this guy says, who's the head of the NIH, he says, yeah, we change the guidance when the data changes. Isn't that what you want scientists to do? Let's listen to him. I'm sorry if people think that that's a change in the guidance. Well, it's a change because of new data. Isn't that what you want your public health experts to do is to look at the evidence and then tell you what right now is the best thing to do. And I guess I find it frustrating that the whole idea of masking has become such an emotional and may I say political situation. It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. We know that masks work. They're not perfect, but they sure help. I'm sorry. If so that's this dude who's, you know, frustrated. You can tell he's kind of a laid back guy. He's probably not used to having to come on and do this. <laughs> but absolutely, you know, he's saying, yes, the data changes. We've seen a spike. We've seen more hospitalizations. So the guidance changes. That's how science works, of course. And, you know, what I keep going back to is this whole thing, this tantrum about masks that the right wing is throwing, you know, seems to me to be a sort of deflection from the vaccine conversation because they know they're wrong about vaccines. The data is so overwhelming about vaccines. They don't want to talk about that because they fucked that up. They want to talk about the masks because they think that that is more politically sound for them. And then they go back to whatever old study that there was something somewhere at the beginning of COVID about, you know, you can find that one thing where it said masks aren't that great. And they continue to use that even after we have massive amounts of data since then, you know, right. it's just outrageous. And then of course we have to talk about, you know, the better mass, like right now with this Delta variant, I'm vaccinated, but when I'm inside, I'm going to wear an N95, especially when I'm inside with my colleagues across the aisle who don't mask and never mask and won't tell anybody if they're vaccinated. I meet with people in my tiny office. There's no room for social distancing in my office. I meet with people at home, like at Wild Love Bakehouse, a little coffee shop, and we might share coffee and ha a croissant or something like that. I'm eating. I'm in proximity. My constituents deserve to know if I'm vaccinated. I ask them when I'm meeting with them, because sometimes, you know, if it's it's safe enough, if we're right. not that close or we're not eating, we're outside, I'll take the mask off. But the reality is, as an elected official, who deals with the public, I absolutely should tell them whether I'm or not I'm vaccinated. People need to be concerned about it. Williamson County Medical Center reported a 633% increase in COVID patients. So it's everywhere. Nobody wants schools to close. Nobody wants businesses to close, but you have to be willing to do what it takes to make sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, the other thing that came up and really what the press conference was about yesterday was the testing. And so let me just see if I have this right. Earlier this year, there was a TCAP test administered to something like 95% of the students in a certain age range in the state. And now we're being told by the administration, Governor Lee's administration, that the scores were so bad, learning loss was a huge thing, 
And because of that, you know, obviously it supports all their political agenda and everything they're saying, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, and, uh, and yes, you know, minorities were hurt worse. And, you know, all of that may be true. But my question to you is this, and as somebody said, follow the money. How are we making serious decisions based on a test that the kids in our state know does not actually matter? Like, I'm so mind blown by that. I, I'm old. I have gray in my beard now, but I was a kid at one point. I was a high schooler at one point. If I knew a test didn't matter, yeah, I'm tanking that test. I'm not taking it seriously. Like, how are we making this decision based on that? Why are we giving these tests? And is it all about continuing to funnel money to the companies that administer them? It, it absolutely is because they'll talk about, oh, well, the tests are already paid for this, that, and the other. But, you know, we told them over and over, those people who understand, it's, it is called a standardized test for a reason. It is given in a standardized setting. There was nothing standardized about April and May of this last year. There was nothing standardized about the setting for getting these tests. Some people had been um, on online school and come in, and there was too much upended of a school year to really put this next to any other test and say that you have valid and reliable data. Nick Geithner, who does a lot of really great uh, in-depth videos at, at U University of Tennessee, did a great little just two-minute spot on why these tests would not be valid in this year and because it was not a standardized setting. Here's what we know. We, know, we knew that kids were not going to make, make as many gains as they, as they did in a regular year. Anybody could have told you that. We also knew that it was going to increase um, the gap between uh, the, the achievement gap that's already there with our folks who, are, who live in um, un, you know, under-resourced areas and that sort of thing. We knew that was gonna happen. They, they continue to call it learning loss and people, some, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but if you wanna determine if they lost learning, you'd have to give the third grade test again to the fourth graders because that would show if they lost what they had before. Right. This doesn't determine, this has nothing to do with any loss. This is what they, um, gaps that they have from this year. Like I looked at the graph, you know, I, I clicked through, I found the thing, you know, I saw what they're talking about. How do we, you know, make sure that what they're saying is real? Like, how do we confirm any of this? Are we just trusting the groups that administer the test? Because it seems so tailored to their political agenda. It's, it's almost unbelievable. You are, you are trusting that and people have to understand what cut scores are. They change the cut scores every year. What were the cut scores last year? What number qualified you as mastered? And what number qualified you as below proficient? You know, yeah, it's what not number? itemized. It's just graphs and numbers and that's it. Right. They don't they don't give you all the data. They put they cherry pick to put those pretty graphs and things together with the information they want you to have. I can guarantee you that a team of data statisticians would look at that data and probably come out with a different way. To, to demonstrate what that's all about. And, and more alarming to me was not that, you know, yes, we know that, that we've got some catch up to do with kids during the last year because they didn't make the gains that we would, they would normally make. We know sure, that. Sure. Um, but, but all of their quote, solutions and fixes, 
They didn't talk to teachers about those things. That That is not addressing the issue. And that's that's the part that is very worrisome to me. Their fixes are not educationally sound. Right. And it also seems like they're hiding the fact that we're not fully investing in education by just blaming COVID and, you know, making it about that rather than making it about, you know, the fact that we have an F and education funding per pupil in Tennessee and have for a long time. So they just get to point the finger at COVID and say, no, it's that disease's fault when really they haven't cared about this from the beginning. So, you know, that, that's the, that's problematic. And I, I just, somebody, you know, I would love to do it, but I wish somebody had the bandwidth to really drill down on these TCAP scores follow the money. You know, I heard the company Pearson mentioned and, you know, apparently they donate to the superintendent's group. And, you know, there's all these tentacles that reach out that, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And at the end of the day, education is big business. And that's why Republicans have been so focused on it. That's why Betsy DeVos was so focused on it. Part of it is ideological, but part of it is also a heist where there's an attack on public schools and they're trying to steer a lot of the funding towards private schools, many of them religious. And, you know, it's all part of the same equation. And we were saying that, you know, 10 and 20 years ago with No Child Left Behind, that public f- public school dollars was the last untapped by private entities. Correct. Group of, you know, uh, pot of money, big, big pot of money that private folks didn't have their hands in. And right. now... We've got privatizers with their hands deep into the pot and um, really, really putting education at risk, public education for every single child, putting it at risk because we, our own TASSER found that we were underfunding uh, education by $1.7 billion. We have, we're um, $2,000 per child behind Georgia and Kentucky. We're $400 per child behind Alabama. We are literally chasing Alabama. This is outrageous. 46th in funding, and they run around talking about how we're going to be number one in outcomes. It's not possible. Yeah, that's right. Sapicki talking about we're going to be number one in outcomes when we're at the bottom in, you know, in per pupil spending. It's absolutely crazy. And, you know, this is, if they want to talk about exacerbating inequality, it starts right there. So, you know, that's something that we need to keep talking about. I appreciate you talking about this. Just a couple of things I want to mention before we go. Uh, Franklin had their first Pride Festival this weekend. I was there. It was awesome. I was blown away at how many people were there. I think they had like 3,000 people there. I, I was honestly expecting 20. This is where I live. And uh, the turnout was, was awesome. So shout out to Robert McNamara and that group. And I don't know if you saw this, but this was Reptilis responding to us. Uh, we mentioned that he reportedly had his chair urinated on by fellow Republicans, and he confirmed that it did happen. I think he had maybe confirmed it before, but then he pointed a finger at Glenn Cassida, either saying that he had it done or made sure it wasn't investigated. Uh, I saw you react to that. You know, what do you, you think when you see that you know you're serving with legislators who are pissing on each other's chairs? It's kind of par for the course what I see and you know I can tell you some things that I see up there that is just disgusting and and I'm not even like in the loop or in the gossip I don't do a lot of gossiping I've got my head down I'm typically doing the work but you still hear it and you still know what's going on and you still see a lot of what's going on and it's embarrassing to me I am sad for the people that sent them there and don't know what they're doing when they get up there and how childish and immature and how they think they are untouchable 
It's it's really scary to me. But I saw your tweet from uh, Representative Tillis or the, the retweet, and I decided to go look at his thread. And I was, you know, pretty impressed with yeah. the things that he was saying. And I appreciate, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be you're free to speak. Once you leave. Once you leave. I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. It shouldn't take leaving to actually start telling the truth. If it, And what people really don't understand is if all of those who believe differently speak up about it, we'll have actual collaborative conversations mm -hmm. and we can actually get things done that are good for Tennessee people because that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't just flat out tell people, you do a mandate, you will be punished. We should talk about, understand what they're afraid of, come to the table and talk about how we can work to make it safe for everybody, but also get everybody back in a classroom. No question about it. We, we definitely feel, I feel like at the end of the day, we actually all kind of want similar things when it comes to education on both sides of the aisle, but we end up beholden to people who are beholden to special interests, and that becomes a big part of the problem. One other really gross thing while we still have people with us here uh, that I wanted to mention was this moment at a Republican fundraiser in Nashville where Leader McCarthy stood up in front of, as you can see behind him there, that's John Rose, Burchett, Desjardins, Mark Green, and I'm going to go ahead and assume Harshbarger and Fleischman and Kustoff were on the stage too. And this is what uh, McCarthy had to say about taking the speakership back from Pelosi and, you know, joking quote unquote, about hitting her with a gavel. It'll be hard not to hit her with it. So that's leader McCarthy, who's obviously not a leader about anything, quote unquote, joking about violence against Nancy Pelosi. You know, this comes right after the insurrection. Obviously, violence against anybody is wrong. Violence against a woman is completely wrong. And, you know, Laughter. It was met with laughter. None of them spoke up about it. You know, granted, Nancy Pelosi had called him a moron, but there's a big difference between that and saying, I'm going to beat you it. with this wooden stick. He proved it. Exactly. What, what did you think when you heard that? I was horrified because, again, you know, it really shows you how uh, Republicans feel about women. And they can say, oh, we have women in leadership all they want to, but those are women who agree with them. There's nothing that terrifies them more than a strong woman who will use her voice no matter how much they threaten. And I think about Nancy Pelosi because I met her. I know they think we're besties and talk every day, <laughs> but, but I met her once. But she's this tiny little woman. And was she 80 years old? So yeah. you're joking about hitting a 80-year-old woman who might be 90 pounds soaking wet with a giant mallet and somebody who was just recently threatened. Her life has been threatened over and over. Oh, I'm sure she gets death threats every day. And people came to kill her on January 6th. That's right. And this is what they do. Yeah, if they had gotten their hands on her on January 6th, she would be gone. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And this is what he's saying. They haven't learned their lesson. And I think it just goes back to so much of what we talk about, which is, you know, democracy is under attack. These are people who do not care about the voice of the people. They want power at all costs. And, you know, they have not learned their lesson. So, you know, as 2022 rolls around and 2024 rolls around, democracy and, you know, who we are is still on the ballot in every election. So, you know, I know people who are watching this probably are already engaged and know that. But, 
you know, we talk about this stuff so that you can be out there talking about it too. And uh, we appreciate you guys joining us, watching this, sharing this, sharing the clips, following the holler. Make sure you follow at Gloria, at Vote Gloria J on Twitter and, and Gloria on all her socials. Gloria, thanks for coming by today. Absolutely. Always appreciate that you speak up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously the tinier your office gets, the more we know you're doing your job. So, you know, all you're doing is exposing. It's just like when, you know, when Justin Jones and the protesters go out there for 62 days and they pass a law, you know, that just shows how dark their hearts are. That's what you've done also with this tiny office thing. And it stands as a monument to that. So thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to keep doing it no matter what they decide to do to me. I'm going to, I'm going to holler the truth all the time. Tennessee. 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 Tennessee.